and the day after Christmas. I have, do you have this on your calendar? It, it says New Year's Day, which is fine. All right, January 1st, in case you didn't know. And then on January 2nd, it says day after New Year's. <laughs> <laughs> like, wait, wait, let me check yeah. their math on this that. This is the Stand day by. after New Year's. Note that this is Joel's, uh, I, I believe that is a Siberian Husky calendar. That is. That I, is I think it's limited to Siberian Husky puppies, puppies. probably. Yes. Siberian Husky puppy yes. calendar. Yes. Thank you very much, Sam, for that calendar. And you are listening to the Stack Exchange podcast number 40, the one without Will Wheaton. You know, actually, last week, uh, a lot of people complained because we advertised it as a podcast with Will Wheaton. But as it turns out, people listened all the way to the very end, and Will Wheaton never actually came on. So I think this is going to be uh, podcast number 40, the one with um, James Vanderbeek. <laughs> we have our usual guest in the studio, Jay Hanlon. Hey, Jay, say hi. Hello. Uh, David Fullerton. Hi. Uh, producer Alex in the background. Hi special visitor uh, today who just walked by and we were just like, come here, you got to tell us something uh, because we didn't really have anything to talk about on the podcast. It's Britton Payne from, who's a professor of copyright, trademark and emerging technologies, copyright, trademark and emerging technologies at Fordham University, at Fordham right? Law, yeah. which is a law school uh, here in Manhattan. I'm going to go with Manhattan. Yes. True. They also have a branch outside of Manhattan, but not for the law school. Okay. Anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he, he was walking by and I said, hey, we don't have anything to talk about in the podcast. So tell us something about intellectual property. Uh, yeah. And so well, what I got into is that the uh, uh, about 15 years ago to figure out a way to deal with computers, Congress passed the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. Right. That was one of the awful Clint Clinton things. Uh, it was it was certainly during the Clinton era, but it, 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 some people obviously don't like it. But some people have found it to be useful guidelines for how to yeah. handle certain problems, even though maybe the problems could have been solved better in different ways. And that's where I guess the DMCA is best known for those takedown notices, which is that those of us that provide websites where random people can just stick stuff up on the internet are are basically not liable for the particular content that shows up there. Yeah, for user generated uh, content, it provides a safe harbor so that right. the people who facilitate the posting of content don't get in trouble for the uh, infringing uses that their users make right of as service. long as they have a particular procedure for taking it down if it turns out to infringe there are a couple of requirements you have to have a procedure in place you have to in fact uh, enforce the procedure you have to have no actual knowledge of it so once you know about it you're no longer entitled to the, the, the protection right. and that's why it's notice and takedown once you are provided with notice and the notice can be pro is, is given a statutory guideline for uh, how you're exactly supposed to make that notice. So you can actually say you don't have statutory notice if the notice doesn't include all the information, like the address of the infringer or something right, like that. Right. You know? And so that sets up a system so that uh, people at the time, AOL doesn't get in trouble for the things that its users do, as long as it takes care, uh, as long as it follows these procedures. Mm -hmm. So it's a little more detailed than you would like to have your laws uh, be. Nonetheless, it provides something that you can at least follow. And to a certain extent, I think has worked. I has worked. mostly. There's a good. I think there's a there's there's a bit of a practical balance that is somewhat helpful. I think from our perspective, in that while there's a lot of chip problems with the DCMA, the the thing that is nice, I think, for a site like us is it prevents someone from just running around saying this this violates my copyright intellectual property, and you're then trying to interpret. They have to attest. They basically have to swear under oath that they own this thing, which prevents frivolous. Well, sort of kind use. of. Although it does get used frivolously all the time, and then there's uh, there, there's sort of two. There's two problems I've noticed with the DMCA, um, or basically two loopholes that have since um, been un uncovered. And the first one is that some of the big publishers like YouTube with Google have created an alternate non-DMCA takedown system that basically allows these IP 
co- companies that represent other companies that allegedly own copyright to just sort of scan all of YouTube and issue non-binding takedown notices, which Google then takes down. So it creates a chilling effect where they take down all kinds of stuff that doesn't really need to be taken down. A lot of times it's like some, some music was playing in the background. or Yeah, well, there was a big case about that. It was called Lens V Universal, where this, this woman's baby was dancing in the kitchen yeah. to Prince's Let's Go Crazy. But that um, was actually... Um, <laughs> Uh, so that was that 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 was certainly a f- fair use, right? Like there was no court would ever have not said that that was. You fair know, use. there is no decision as to whether or not it was a fair use because what had happened was in in issuing the takedown notice, one thing that you swear to, like Jay was saying, is that that this is an infringing use. In order yeah. to determine whether or not something is infringing, in good faith, in requesting it to be taken down, you have to at least consider fair use. Yeah. And the the group that had written the Universal, I guess it was, who had issued the takedown notice, hadn't considered fair use. Now they were allowed to consider it. And say, oh yeah, I don't think that's fair use. Then issue, but they didn't them. even. They would have been fine, <laughs> right? Go that but far. that's actually, and so that yeah. seems like seems like a nothing, right? That seems like just yeah. a silly little. Oh well, that's no, that's no. But no this obstacle. happens. I mean, but that is in fact an obstacle because now if you actually have to consider fair use, can you guys write a computer program that considers fair use? Probably not. Uh, you need an eyeball to look at it, right? So like an automatic DMCA. So that's why automatic DMCA takedown generator notice won't work. Interesting. It will, that's really it will cool. violate but, Lens of the Universe. So that's why they have to make a special cut-aside deal with YouTube. Basically. Where they take it down, not based on copyright infringement, but just because they feel like it. Yeah. And, right. and, and you're allowed to do that when you sign up. But what it all it's it sets up a separate regime for it that right. is not enforced by the DMCA, but right. enforced by your end-user license agreement. Right? right. Which is So when you um, sign up for YouTube, you're saying, I'm going to post things to YouTube. You can take it down for any reason or for no reason. Yeah. And I won't sue you. We, had, um, we actually had a problem where we uh, produced... A series of documentaries at Fog Creek. Um, Brett, Michael probably told you about this. Um, we produced a series of documentaries writing great smart code. I can't remember the name of it. And uh, <laughs> it was a bunch of documentaries about software development. And we actually, in one of those documentaries, there's a piece of a performance of The Queen of the Night, which was written by Mozart and is not actually copyrighted anymore because it's from quite a while ago, but the performance itself is. And so we licensed it and we paid somebody a lot of money to actually license that particular piece. And because of that piece, uh, it was trapped by the automatic filters and it got taken down from YouTube. And it turns out that you know no amount of attempting to appeal that um, could get that put back up because they know that you're quote unquote infringing, but they don't bother to check if you actually have a license for the performance that you're using. So there's these sort of gigantic things that fall between uh, the gaps on this. The assumption is anybody posting something on YouTube could not possibly have gone to the trouble of licensing a, a but that's not a, piece a D, of that's not a DMCA problem, right? No, YouTube has essentially decided that because they're, they're getting gonna... sixty-two years of video every day, they'd rather let the companies do the work and accept whatever they say yeah. and create a stricter way where they would take some responsibility for sifting. So they've actually created a, a regime that is uh, un- unnecessarily has sort of unnecessary chilling effect. And it's more so than the DMCA, actually, because the DMCA establishes a counter notification procedure, whereby if your thing gets taken down, then you notify AOL, which is who they had in mind when they wrote it. And you said, AOL, you should not have taken it down. Then AOL, in turn, contacts Prince and says, look, Prince, we're going to put it back up in 10 days unless you file an actual court action. And we're washing our hands of this whole thing. You guys guys work it out. Mr. Prince. Yeah, I think that's what they would have said. <laughs> I just want to start look. Well, I think like he was. I, some respect has been. I think he was boyoing at the time. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to go I know who we're talking yeah. about. Or One Direction, Justin Bieber, somebody. We have a younger audience. They may not know who Prince is. <laughs> it, was, it was Niall from, from One Direction. Okay. So what's changing about this? Yeah, well, so the other, the, that actually is, that's one part of the DMCA. Another part of the DMCA is anti-circumvention technology. So the idea that you can't crack a DVD, that's mm-hmm. a significant part of what it was. So they yeah. said that, okay, well, 
it is going to be considered a, an infringement of copyright if you see this thing that says you're not supposed to access this and you try and access it anyway. So, yeah, that was actually one of the maddening things about DMCA is to say that sort of re attempting to reverse engineer stuff or uh, to sort of hack into it for purely scientific purposes, not for financial gain or in order to. Yeah. And there are other parts of the Copyright Act that protect reverse engineering and that protect cracking something to try and figure out what it is. And particularly for repairing computers, that's that's something. But mm -hmm. um, there are several cases that came down the pike that said, look, if you have the right to use the ideas contained herein, which you do under copyright law, and you need to make a temporary copy for the purpose of getting to that information the only way that you can. Like so if you want to or... make. Yeah. But also it was like a, if you think of an Atari cartridge, uh, the if you want to make a cartridge that functions with an Atari, you probably need to make a copy of the console software in order to figure out how it would interact with a cartridge because you're allowed to make supplemental works, works that work in conjunction with other works. Mm -hmm. So how does that get reconciled with the fact that you can't make a copy? Well, the answer is you can make a copy for the purpose of creating a supplemental work and then essentially erasing it. So taking no more than you need in the same way that you can parody something by taking no more than you need in order to make your points. So let me let me ask a question. So let's say you've got a DVD and your DVD player is, is dying. It's slowly, it's very tragic. It's very sad, it's been sick for some time. And you then take that DVD and so as your DVD player is dying, you then rip the DVD to a MP4 file or whatever using Handbrake or whatever, some some application. So it's on your computer and then you destroy the DVD because you weren't actually trying to duplicate it and spread it around. So you still only have one copy which you bought rights to. Is that a violation of the I know backups used to be explicitly permissible prior to the DCMA but I don't know DMCA I keep doing that. I don't know if that is that the is that would that be illegal under Well, the you're kind of talking about two different things. The DMCA well, there are different parts of the DMCA. The reality of it, I was just talking to Michael about this. The reality of it is that you've made a copy. Michael is a well-known DVD bootlegger is probably the <laughs> <laughs> You you have made a copy, uh, an unauthorized copy. However, that that unauthorized copy will be forgiven if it constitutes a fair use. The courts, the Supreme Court, basically back in '84 ish in Sony v Universal, the Betamax case, decided the Supreme Court may come to my home. This is, I'm, this is I don't like where this <laughs> yes, is going. Just, <laughs> Justice Ginsburg is going to knock on your door, uh. Uh, and so you are essentially allowed to make copies of works for the purpose of time shifting. Uh, or even space shifting, so limited librarying. The, where they draw the line is you're not supposed to redistribute it commercially. Right. Now, that is more observed in practice than necessarily in the law. So that it has now become accepted that if you make a copy, if you videotape something and you stick it on your shelf and then you watch it later, uh, and then somebody wants to sue the VCR maker, they're not going to actually name you as a defendant in this case. They're going to name the manufacturer of the device. So when you see like the remote DVR case where uh, it's a famous case from a couple of years ago where Cablevision, instead of having the DVR chip in your home, it's now going to be at Cablevision's offices. And Cablevision has to make a copy in order to get it onto your dedicated part of the server and then subsequently deliver it to your house. So that action of making a copy to redistribute it to their own servers, the content owners were trying to say that constitutes a copy and, and, and a copy that you're not allowed to make. And you're also then redistributing it to your users. They specifically didn't name the individual users or they didn't even consider the individual customers as infringers because they don't want to sue their own customers. Mm -hmm. Right. So you're not going to get sued as an individual. You've essentially got a fair use excuse under Sony v. Universal saying that making a copy for your own personal use does not constitute an infringement. However, you are making an unauthorized copy. Right, we're circumventing the protection essentially on the, on the DVD. Circumventing the protection is a different issue. I mean, it, it's hard to imagine that any, first of all, nobody's going to come after you in your home. Like, right, obviously, no. obviously, you know that. So that is the theory there. And why do I need all cracking, those guns? By, <laughs> <laughs> the, the, uh, the theory is, though, that, yeah, in cracking the DVR, you're making a copy you're not supposed to make.
So the, the, the DVD. There was an. You may know the name of this company. There was a, there was a hilarious attempt to circumvent the result of that case, where a company recently said, "I want to do the same thing, and I want to compete with Netflix." And what they actually did, because they were they believed they could not copy the the data, is they they bought thousands of DVD players and DVDs, and they had them basically running. And if you subscribed, they would stream. Yeah off of the original DVD, and they basically argued, we bought a bunch of commercially available things, we have rights to them, we've made no copies, you have no right. argument. Um, they were shut down, I'm not sure on what grounds, but it, they, they I mean, attempted to. Yeah, I think that's. I think that was Streamcast, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, but, you also have Arrow, which is doing that, but with uh, live the TV. Air, oh, yeah. TV, I guess. Yeah, and that's actually a pretty big case right now, Arrow. Uh, it's a whole bunch of content distributors suing Arrow, and another company that's got a name like Arrow, and some, some of the guys on the Arrow side not to say the individuals, but some of the people involved in that movement are trying to needle the content distributors a little bit. You know, they're trying to say, ha ha, we figured this out. We're going to put- These guys, they put a bunch of antennas. A little yeah, the antennas, antennas are like the size of a dime. Yeah. And they live in, you know, that building across the street. And they essentially provide you DVR services using broadcast medium instead of media that they get from the cable pipe, you know, the kinds of things that you get in your they current just, DVR. They, they get it over the air. And so you, when you sign up for their service, you get your own personal antenna. Yeah, they dedicate this little antenna and it's to like you. your antenna. And so you have every right to pluck off the air broadcast and to do things like time shift them. Yeah. And so the broadcast networks are like, well, gee, we're not, we're not pumping this stuff out of the air so that you can circumvent our cable contract. You know, that yeah. really hurts us. So they're all upset about it. They, they're, part of their argument is that it's part of the public trust. But my recollection is that they had a preliminary injunction attempt and it failed. Yeah. So the Aereo gets to continue to exist. I believe Barry Diller is behind Aereo. So Aereo's got a lot of money on its side. You know, everybody expects that this kind of a thing will work out somehow in contract and not go all the way to the Supreme Court and have somebody, you know, get, get shut down. But that, in fact, Aereo is providing some version of a valuable service and that the content distributors just want to have a piece of it. You know, they're saying that they're entitled to a piece of it. And Aria was saying, no, you're not. Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how that thing unfolds. But that's a huge case. So wait, I want to get, get us back on track. So you yes. said uh, the anti-circumvention, the technological means of anti-circumvention have to be kind of re-examined every once in a while. Yeah. And so recently they re-examined it and they hit a, a bunch of different subjects. I'm, I'm looking at my notes right here. But there were new exemptions that were announced, I think, in October. So ebook reading assistive technologies, uh, literary works distributed electronically. Ebook reading assistive, that's the uh, Amazon Kindle uh, being able to read a thing out loud to you. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Which got turned, which got shut down originally. Well, they, they have announced new exemptions to the anti-circumvention rule. Exemptions right. So now we're doing negatives. double negatives, right? Yeah. So we're saying that you're not allowed to crack stuff. But unless you are these one of these five situations. Okay. So it's ebook reading assistive technologies. Okay. So if you're blind, you can have your ebook reader read something to you, even though that content was not quote unquote licensed for audiobooks. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. That's so that's number one. There are five of them. Number two is that you're allowed to jailbreak smartphones for apps, uh, computer nope. programs on wireless telephone handsets to enable interop interoperability of software applications. So it's essentially jailbreaking. So jailbreaking is allowed. Uh, yeah. Uh, unlocking old smartphones to switch providers. So computer programs on wireless handsets that were yeah. acquired within 90 days of the effective date of the exemption, which is January 2013, so it's this month, for the purpose of connecting to alternative networks, which is unlocking. Awesome. So they said that's okay but for smartphones. Old, what does it mean by old phones? Uh, prior to 90 days. Acquired within 90 days of the effective date of the exemption and essentially old phones. Uh, number four was audiovisual works uh, certain fair uses. So motion pictures on DVDs are distributed by online services for the purposes of criticism or comment in non-commercial videos, documentary films, non-fiction multimedia ebooks, offering film analysis, and for certain educational uses by college and university facility and students in kindergarten through 12th grade educators. So they went 
It sounds like a very specific a lot of fair use a lot more explicit than it really is under the fair use doctrine. Yes, but it's saying not only is it a fair use to do these sorts of things, and you can expect that if someone does in fact circumvent the technology intended to protect copyright, that they will also be subject to fair use analysis. If it's not fair use, it's probably not subject to the exemption either. This was the case of uh, this is the case of like I think like professors want to show a little clip from a DVD yes. in their class, yes. and they own the DVD and they had every right to show it, and it was clearly allowed by. It was physically impossible. There were technological reasons that were preventing them from doing this. That's basically the notion. I mean, also, but if you're thinking about you want to play a clip in your PowerPoint presentation yeah. or, in, or whatever, in theory, you would have to crack the DVD to get yeah. to that video. And now it's saying, eh, it's okay. Yeah. And it seems sort of anticipatory also that like, look, there are things we don't know about how people are next going to want to use their content. Right. And so we're going to allow you to figure out That's how to solve of, the problem. That's uh, kind of unusual that yeah, we got but, a good law out of. Congress, <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> well, you'll you'll see. There are some ex there are some things that they did not address that they could have yeah. that you might think you know it's it's not so principled that they didn't do it. And then audiovisual works assistive technology. So it's the same thing as what we were talking about with ebook uh, assistive technologies, motion pictures, and other audiovisual works on DVDs or distributed by online services for the purpose of research to create DVD players capable of rendering captions, descriptive audio for persons who are blind, visually impaired, and as you can imagine, they're 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 open ended about what kinds of impairments these things what are intended to address. Technology. It sounds yeah, like sure. there's some because it leaves some open the door there. for you know a lot of people are creative yeah. in figuring out how to create assistive technologies. Could be assistive technologies for the autistic that we haven't even conceived of. Yet. That's right. You know, it could be it could be anything. Yeah. Uh, what they did not address people that are offended by uh, sex in movies, for example, you could cut out all the sex scenes. For example. And then that particular disability that they have. Yeah, I want, I, yeah, I want to have a defined disability. The things that they did not address, though, they did not address the jailbreaking and unlocking of tablets. So they made uh, a distinction between a smartphone a phone. and a tablet. Interesting. And then uh, moving audiovisual works. My smartphone works, is just really, really large. <laughs> for example. <laughs> and then moving audiovisual works from DVD to tablets is also not exempted. Hmm. So those are places where people were lobbying to say, well, gee, I should be able to do that. I should be able to do what I Jay is talking DVD. about. I bought the DVD. I want to see it on my tablet. Seems like it's a fair use, you know, for yeah. saying that under Sony, it's generally a fair use for Jay to be allowed to do what he did. And the law is still saying, no, that's still an anti-circumvention issue. So that's obviously part of the content. There, what was that company control. that eventually got shut down for providing a tool that... Divix. Uh, was well, it Divix? Divix had it, no. Uh, real it was a DVD. It was know, a DVD real ripping. Networks tried uh, to do Napster? It. Nah, there was one that was specifically a DVD ripping product. It might, might be Divix. Yeah, no, Real of. Networks tried to put out one. Yeah. And they got shut down before they could even get it out the door. All right. Yeah. Cool. So those are the new things that came down in, in October, and those get evaluated every couple of years. Okay. Well, thanks, Britt. Yeah, you bet. Yeah. So your copyright update uh, number one on this next <laughs> podcast brought to you. But fortunately, was just walking by, and, and, and otherwise, the rest of this podcast is going to be awful. Um, tune in uh, again in three years when again. we uh, hear the next set Th of changes. Thanks, Britt. And is there anything I should point them to on the web that they should go look at if they want to learn more? Uh, about you or whatever, anything I want, you want me to promote right now? No, not in particular. I was just looking at um, BrittonPain.com, but it's a little bit uh, out of date. Slightly out of date. That's more for my cartoon work. Uh -huh. Yeah, But on LinkedIn, and you could go to uh, on Meetup. I run a startup called Startups Building a New Foundation. It's essentially oh. startup law for non-lawyers. That's really cool. Abby will link to that uh, in the show notes. Great. And uh, and that's a B-R-I-T-T-O-N-P-A-Y-N-E, just for all the other people who will try to spell it like the country. Thanks for coming by. Thank you. I appreciate it. See you later, Brett. Good to see you, Brett. And uh, okay. that was we had more facts and content in that portion of the podcast than we've had in the entire time I've been here. Yeah, that was really uh, all right. Now we're just going to have to talk about um, Siberian husky puppies <laughs> and pudding, and, uh, pudding, pudding. That's right. And uh, something I'm thinking something with uh, 
Hello Kitty. I, I, I don't know quite what yet, but I'll, I'll come up with something. So what else is going on in the uh, Stack Exchange universe, Jay and uh, David? We just had the holidays. Oh, oh, but only in the Stack Exchange universe. <laughs> That's right, we had. Well, we have this thing here at Stack Exchange called the holidays. Well, we had, we had uh, Winter Bash over the holidays. Oh, yeah. On uh, almost all the sites. How did it not go? Not the entire network. It went, uh, went really Bash. well. It's, all, it's ending today. Do we have any stats on hats? <laughs> <laughs> You're just waiting for that one. Uh, you can still go to winterbad.sh. Winterbad. Hold on, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. And uh, there you can see all the hats that we had, minus the secret hats. And uh, the, the people uh, really enjoyed it. There's a meta post where Arthi was asking uh, for feedback and uh, everyone. Did you guys all find the... We haven't um, done the, the actual stat analysis yet. But, the absolutely uh, amazing... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, hidden Easter egg in the snow at winterbot.sh. They did find... Somebody did finally find that by basically decoding the code that... Uh, deobfuscating the code that Ben... I believe what you do is you hold, you hold down. I'm going to tell everybody. You right? can this go ahead and tell because it's, it's on meta. So. so you go to winterba.sh and there's snow there. And then you move your mouse around the snow while you're holding the control key. And you'll sort of create this little gravitational pull, which you can use to collect snowflakes. Um, but you have to be careful because they'll sort of get away from you if you try to move too fast or anything like that. And what you do is you sort of swoop around. You collect most of the snowflakes. And then something happens, which I will tell you about as soon as I accomplish it. It takes a while. It does take you, about 10 you have minutes. to you have to go on for about five minutes longer than you think you should. <laughs> way past where you're convinced nothing is actually. First, going you need to, to leave work and get a babysitter. <laughs> get the, a babysitter. The other alternative that's been proposed is just put something, put your cell phone on the control key and walk away for five minutes and then come back. No, no, you really want to collect most of the snowflakes, and if you move slowly around, sweeping them up, it'll it'll happen faster. And then amazing things happen. Just hold control the entire time and collect snowflakes. Wow, geez, they almost, I almost dropped them. You'll get there eventually. This is really amazingly fun. Just like this podcast. So uh, now Joel has 42, 43 <laughs> snowflakes. 43. I think he's about to get... No, he's dropped a couple. They kind of fall off. Okay. Ah. So that's the Easter egg. You can try it for yourself. Joel's still trying it. So I'm, we'll just I'm, keep I'm talking at... while, he, while he works on that. Yeah. You can tell how long it takes. Bye. So uh, Winter Bash, great fun was had by all. How many hats? You can see how many hats were awarded, so... Stack Overflow had 60,000 hats awarded, and that's only to people. On Stack Overflow, we had the, uh, the the different thing where you had to opt in and before you started getting hats and seeing that's hats. That's insane. 60,000 people even opted in and got hats. Yeah, so it was, uh, it was quite a few. Well, not 60,000 people. 60,000 60, hats. 60,000 hats. So if they earned you know, an average of 10 each, then that, yeah. less. But so, and John Skeet probably took sure 4,000 for himself. Well, there weren't that many hats. No, the, the most anybody earned, I think, was 20 hats. Maybe 20 and a couple. But uh, So that was Winter Bash. So and this was really, we just did it for Mostly for fun. Uh, this is really taking because a long we, time to because get every single snowflake. You're still doing the snowflakes. Um, <laughs> it's like five that I haven't gotten yet. There was also, there were some secret hats that uh, I think they were all found by various people. The uh, the secret epic Punyon oh, beard. Oh, there was the Punyon hat. The, the Punyon beard, yeah. So which, a couple uh, things to know about Punyon. First of all, he had a baby, right? Correct. That. <laughs> that is correct. Uh, it's important that that be true for the rest of this story. <laughs> Otherwise, it doesn't exist. Uh, secondly, that he is in a rock band. We didn't really know this. Not a until, rock band, a jazz band. A jazz, well, jazz and disco, really classic the, disco. I call them all new music. <laughs> the disco was from my high school era, and I'm older than anybody in the company. Classical so. and new music. So uh, <laughs> we had a we had a holiday holiday party at the. Uh, 
Yeah. What was that place? It was at a hotel, a hotel in, uh, in the Lower East Side. Rivington? Yeah. Hotel Rivington. Rivington Hotel. A hotel on hotel Rivington, Rivington, on Rivington Street in the Lower East Side. Rivington. And, uh, and we, we were in the penthouse. It was amazing. It's like three stories. It was like big floor-to-ceiling glass windows with ridiculous view of, of Manhattan. Really fun. And this absolutely astonishing music of the 70s. 1978, really, to be specific. Uh, the, year of, the year of disco. And to, a little bit of 79. Uh, not so much Michael Jackson. I didn't hear any Michael Jackson, but you know, not a lot of MJ. All that, you know, the Saturday Night Fever stuff, and and it was Jason's band, and they were awesome. Wait, that was Jason's band? Yeah, yeah. He played with them. His dad is in the band. His uncle. Oh, it was I like know. a, it was like a bunch of punions. Which, uh, frankly, sounds just a little bit like nepotism to me. But anyway, he also was doing this thing before he had the baby called yeah. a baby beard, which I had never heard of before. But I guess it's a thing where you just don't shave for the nine months that your baby is growing. This is ridiculous. I have every single snowflake and, and I still don't. There may be a bug. There, there's one bug that Ben is aware of that he doesn't care to fix because this is all going away in a few days. But It doesn't work wonderfully on Safari. So, uh, and that Jay has been really bent out of shape about that the no, entire time. No, I'm fine time. with it. I'm totally fine with it. Just, can, just commenting tell in case from that's the problem. From how he says it. So anyway, uh, so he had this so very he had this ridiculous rid- looking beard. Ridiculous beard. I mean, it was like, it was like an, I, I, is it offensive to say that it was an Amish beard? It was an atrocity. It's offensive to Amish people, I think. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was. I think they kind like of trim it or comb it. It doesn't have quite as much pizza in it. <laughs> generally, it's a terrible beard. You mean the Amish ones have less pizza? So anyway, then the day the day that his uh, his child was born, he shaved it all off, not just the beard, but the hair as well, and went totally bald and looked kind of equally ridiculous on the other end. Yeah, he sort of went from being animal on the Muppets to being beaker. Yeah, it's, it's a bald baby is generally adorable. A bald punion is <laughs> Beaker wasn't the bald one. It was Beaker's the other the other guy was Mi- the, Honeydew. Beaker's is that his uh, name? That's right. Honeydew. Was the other scientist. Professor okay, I believe you. Thank you. Really? Yeah. So uh so but anyway, <laughs> in honor of this epic shaving. He uh, kind of looked like what was ben that created the Not epic the baby. Not the mama. Yeah, that was, was uh that was Not the dinosaurs the show. I yeah. know. Dinos dinosaurs. Yeah. Was, was that, that Sherman Helmsley? Sherman Helmsley was in that show, I think. It was puppets. Yeah, dinosaur. But Sherman Helmsley was one of the lead voices, I believe. Oh. I don't know who that is. What? So anyway, the epic punion beard was just a joke based on the uh, the epic punion shave. So that was one of the hats you could win during but the winter. Y- no, it was only ever though. awarded to employees, and I think two people on Meta just to throw everyone off and confuse them. <laughs> no, they, I think they figured out the cause, and I think everyone figured out the cause was they uh, on Meta. Those guys who awarded had determined what the epic punion beard was about. Yeah, but they. Because there is justice, and we would not award it right, arbitrarily. Right, right. It certainly wasn't to, arbitrary. Yeah, no, they, they figured out the secret. So keep looking for the next. By the time this comes out, it'll be over next year. So the epic punion beard looks like you're being swallowed by a hair shark. <laughs> Ew! Pretty, pretty awesome. I hope to never again hear the phrase <laughs> hair shark. Hair shark. On a hair shark T-shirt. That would be the scariest <laughs> Japanese horror movie ever <laughs> made. The most uncomfortable and simultaneously most fashionable T-shirt you could wear. So well, that was Winter Bash. By the time you hear this podcast, it'll all be over. Right, but crossing that off. There may be uh, something next year. Stay tuned for another year. We have a couple of new sites to talk about. We got uh, an anime site and a politics site. How's the politics site doing? There's it's still there. <laughs> it's doing alright. It's got. It's it's kind of, they uh, each have about a little over 250 questions, so they're doing all right in terms of just numbers. As yeah. far as quality, uh, I'll let mm. you take a look and be the judge. Uh, why don't British kings and queens veto laws? Well, that because one was actually no kind of interesting. For I read that one. I, I, I enjoyed that question. Yes. I, I think that the politics side is interesting. I think it falls into a category where I, I do think there are enough questions about politics, the political process, that are really 
have sort of fact-based, expertise-based answers that it really could be a very interesting site. Mm-hmm. And I think we, we're seeing some of that and some good representation of that. I do think it's got a challenge. It's like if you had a site about like how to be the most, the world's most effective arguer, right? And how to, <laughs> how to really win like contentious debates. Yeah. There's all this stuff you can ask questions about and there's the Harvard negotiation method and there's, you know, uh, how to talk to kids so they'll listen and, and yeah. listen so they'll talk and all these different yeah. things you could actually write about. You just, the, just sort of hurt their feelings in a way that makes them cry and then you kind of win. Uh, yeah. You will. Uh, uh, that's really after the beatings don't work. Well, we digress. <laughs> we have a parenting site for all that. But I think what you'd get, the problem is while there are all those expertise-based things, what you're still going to have is a lot of people who really enjoy getting together and arguing. Yeah. And so I think the challenge on politics- They enjoy rhetoric. Right. Right. This is a re- rhetoric site without rhetoric. Right. So th- there is, there are some great questions, but there, what we also see is there's, there's, I think naturally people who are passionate about politics are usually not passionate about politics because they enjoy a dispassionate analysis of the political process they're super into. Right. That's they true. tend to be in some way, I think, very enthusiastically partisan. Go team. Right. And while we have, I think, a lot of people working very hard to try and um, take that interest and channel it into these um, more fact-based questions. It's definitely a site where I think there's there's a risk that there is so much sort of uh, positional interest. I think I think the people in politics are have, they've somehow convinced themselves that politics is a world in which there are no right answers and we need to present both sides, and that's the way to be fair. There is no such thing as like let's just take. Are there actual truths here underlying some of this? Well, there are, there are truthy questions that are being asked on there. I mean, there's some stuff that's. There is there is ground truth. It's just not a lot of the stuff that people want to ask. They're made. There's a there's a. Uh, it's very hard to know what the real truth is, and both sides tend to have their own version of the truth that they will argue for. This site will succeed only if it can come up with kind of a new way of talking about politics that doesn't really exist anywhere, because that's sort of the idea of stack exchanges. This idea that we're not about opinions. Which actually right. leads us on to some of the closed reasons, which we're not going to talk about this week. But One thing that was talked about on the site a bit, and I think at least initially was, I don't say rejected, but wasn't embraced enough to do anything about yet, was there was some talk about taking a skeptics-like approach where because of the sort of partisan positional nature of the topic, they should try to uh, enforce a sort of strict you know, answers must be sourced in some way and refer to facts elsewhere. But I mean, you could have debates. Uh, you could have pure political debate and it all, it's all sourced. Like you could go to the most rabid right wing or left wing blog about politics and they'll source things up the wazoo by just quoting some other right wing person saying exactly what they thought or quoting some completely ridiculous so-called survey or or anecdote or I mean, sourcing as a means of providing a fig leaf for your arguments is a standard part and parcel of all political opinion it's like those guys yeah, in Times Square, about that. right, who do like the crazy, I think they're still there. Are you talking they, about the naked cowboy? Uh, no, we're always talking about the naked cowboy. You're like talking I'm about always, the America with the K people? They're, yeah, I think they're called black Israelites, and they do this, like yeah. the white American man came came and murdered everyone, and then the world started over. And they yeah. go, you know, preach on, and then someone reads a quote from the Bible that actually kind of in and of itself it's seems the, to suggest that he, sort of thing. Hebrew Israelites, I believe? Hebrew, I'm sorry, Hebrew Israelites, yeah. I think. Um, but they, they have a they have a, a style of presentation. neither Hebrew nor Israelites. But no, I don't think they're a style of presentation that is sort of someone says a seemingly outrageous, makes an, a seemingly outrageous statement, and then someone yeah. else, because it, it actually creates a little more of a sense of like, this is very trustworthy. A different person is reading this from, from a well-known book, <laughs> takes a couple of quotes out of context that would seem to support the points. Very- so, but we have to go well beyond that. I mean, our, our, for our politics site to work, it has to actually find a new way of talking about political things. And so where it makes sense is, 
And this is something I said a long time ago. I totally forgot about this. But somebody asked if we could have a political site. And I said, we could, but it would have to have a criterion that if the answer is would be different for, for let's say, a Democrat versus a Republican, uh, then it, it, it's not going to work on the site. In other words, you can only really ask things where the answer there is an answer that people would tend to both both agree upon, which is not saying this is going to be the subset of politics where everybody agrees, which is saying this is about uh, at least agreeing to get a common fact-based environment in which people can draw their own conclusions about what the yeah. political... It's a, hard, it, it's a very hard... Almost nothing passes that test, I think. It's a very that, hard that's not true. If you say, for example, uh, there's, there was a question on there that Let's look at the questions that are on there right now. Um, you know, one of them is whether the legalization of marijuana in Colorado and Washington is constitutional. And the answer is, well, um, you know, it sort of depends on, the, you know, how the Commerce Clause is interpreted. That's something that whether you are pro-marijuana legalization or against it, and whether you are pro-states' rights or against it, you would tend to agree on the facts that are stated there. Now, if you were highly partisan, you would find ways of disagreeing with the facts but, right, but you know, that, reasonable, but you reasonable know, men. It, it's important, though, your answer... Use my sexist uh, language there. Your answer is it depends, though, in that case. And that makes it easier to take Reasonable that. humans. If the answer were not, it depends. If someone said, according to any reasonable interpretation of the, you know, this clause in the Constitution, it is not constitutional, I think what you'd have is, if, in an answer that was less wishy-washy, it's, it's reasonable to think. If we take a clearer question, there's a very similar one, is the Patriot Act constitutional? A good guess is almost all... Republicans, most, that's not fair, but many, many Republicans, the, the majority are going to say yes, and the majority of Democrats are going to say no. No, but you got to give, you got to give reasons. And actually that one is a little bit, that's not a very good question on its side, honestly. I think it's, it was actually, okay. I think it was closed temporarily, unless it's been reopened. Um, but there are better ones, like which states give proportional electoral college votes to candidates? That's easy. You know, is it allowed to protest peacefully against the government on certain issues in India? That one's a little bit too broad, I'm, but I would say, you know, specifically, like what are the, you know, peaceful protests in India, specifically what laws apply and, and you know, how are they applied? You could ask, you know, these very sort of clinical questions where, you know, kind of both sides could say, all right, let's agree that the facts are X. Yeah, um, I think I kind of I kind of don't mind the it depends answer because as long as it's as long as it's telling you something new. So so like for the Patriot Act or the one we were just looking at, right? The, the, the I like the answer of it depends on how you interpret this. Oh and, no, I, I actually love uh, answers because that, then then at least I've learned something, and the answer is really it depends, and each side would interpret it differently. Um, so so I think that's actually interesting, and and I think that the big thing that the site has going for it is that um, while it's a very difficult subject to approach. Uh, it, it's not hard to cross the bar of better than wh whatever else is out That's there. That's true. Um, be because <laughs> it does. This doesn't have to be the perfect politics site. It just has to be a little bit better uh, than than everything else out there, which is not that hard. If we can keep it actually with a feeling that this is like a little bit smarter, a little bit less partisan, and a little bit more concerned with facts and less concerned with opinion than anything else you find out there, it's going to be uh, actually kind of amazing. And 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 intelligent, smart people will all sort of flock to it. Yeah. For um, you know, there's there's a group of sort of independent mind thinkers, and there's a lot of them. People like, um, you know, the the most public one I would say is Andrew Sullivan, who uh, actually make make an appearance of attempting to figure things out on based on first principles and not based on their immediate partisan urges, where they just sort of have a, a compulsion to, you know, jump to one particular political uh, view based on you know their team or right. party, but they're actually trying to figure things out, and I, I think. People in that category might find it very appealing to be able to make up their mind on issues based on facts. So we, we have great hope for the politics.stackexchange.com. Visit it, make an account, ask some questions, and get banned. Yeah, okay. and then the other new site is the uh, the anime site. Anime. I don't know how much we have to say about that since probably none of us know very much about anime. 
Maybe Jay does. Well, the, the top question might be helpful to us. It starts with, what differentiates anime from regular cartoons? Oh, please delete, delete, delete. That's really the top question? No, it's just, the, uh, so I should say the most, uh, it's just the first question I encountered on the site. No, see, that's not the kind of question we want to have. I like the questions like, does Sao Tome Ranma talk like a member of the Yakuza? That's it. There's a good question. We think. I think so, because it's, you know, specific as an answer. Anyway, the, the one good thing that this site has going for it is that I don't understand half of the questions on the homepage. Exactly. And that's often a good sign for a site like this that's very niche. It's actually right. not a terrible question at all, because people are having trouble answering it. So it's a good sign. I, I think, it, in fact, the what differentiates anime is, it, it, it is an, it's a more interesting question than it sounds like. Nah, it sounds because you can only have five questions like that, and then you're, it's oh, over. Yeah, no, no, that's we don't not have a site made up of experts would, would ever ask. I'm just saying what they're, what they are doing a little bit down into is we all know it when we see it, but it's hard for us to put our finger on exactly what it is that makes the definitional difference, which is an interesting, I think, But this is, if you're, if you were an anime fanatic and you walked into a room full of people talking about anime, and one of them was sitting there saying, what exactly is anime? You'd be like, oh, God. I don't wrong know. Uh, no, I but I'd see being interested in that question. Room. If you're really passionate about anime and someone's like, oh, it's just cartoons, you're going to have an impassioned defense of why it's not the same as a cartoon and so, what's different about it. If you were, uh, David, C-sharp versus Objective-C, what, what exactly, which is better, really? That's different. That, 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 if somebody were asking this, which of these anime is bigger or better? That, Should that's I become a, a programmer? If somebody said no, programming but... <laughs> is just is just typing, it's just like it's just a glorified is word really processor. Typing or is it like uh... I would I would ha I would say no, you're wrong. How does, you're how does programming differ from graphic design? Really, that's like okay, it's not that you're going to be bored by that conversation. No, it's, it's just it's that not that is that. not a place where there are experts. I, I don't I don't I don't. I agree. think this is in the category of when we had the AI site and the first questions were like, "What book should I read to learn about AI?" So I'm that's glad, what are I'm some blogs no, about AI? I'm glad you mentioned AI. What it's, is AI? No, no. The question is, it's more like on the AI site saying, "What exactly is the line that most people would consider? What, yeah, what are the characteristics and, between, between a robot that. between a robot and a machine?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that uh -huh. is sort of it is sort of an interesting question that a robotics expert, like I can't instantly say, "So a coffee maker is no, not they a robot," all can because that's such a first year freshman, so, it's so, a first week of school question. I don't think so. So what's the answer? But no, this well, is anime is different. I mean, I don't think it is. We're just yes, not it is in because there. these aren't people who make anime. These are people who watch anime. These are geeks. Yeah, they're anime geeks. That's okay. Believe me, this is not going to be a place for them to debate. It doesn't matter. It's one question asked early on. It may get an answer. It may not. Deleted. Do not go into the site and delete their question. Deleted. 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 Do I have a little diamond on there? Let's find out. Do not go. Just leave it alone, Joel. You're not anime community. We've suspended Joel Spolsky for seven days to cool down. Ah, I want to log on. So those are the new sites. I want to log on. I clicked log on. All right, all right. David. So you know no, how you go to log just on for to a you, site we're and it says, do you want to log on? And well, that's because like, it's understand. automatically logging you in. No, no, no. I clicked log on, and then I logged on. And it then says, do you want to create an account? No, it, no. it said. Joel, if you could send an email to team at stackoverflow.com. No, openid.stackexchange.com was yes. asking me if I want to allow Well, that's because our OpenID provider to... is acting like it's a standalone OpenID provider that knows nothing about Stack Exchange. Yeah. I, and I so the same thing that Google it. does when you go to Google and Google's like, uh, this site wants this to know is, about you. You see, this is... I know. I agree. It's weird. It's because we decided to implement this as a, a standalone OpenID provider that we we're going to open source because but, but everybody there, in the world is going to use it. Right, and, because it's going to be future. Uh, uh, is, uh, uh, is this going to be fixed? Is it even on the list? Uh, I actually... It's, I'm, I'm glad you asked. I meant to mention this to you, David. I actually <laughs> added to our I added to our project roadmap um, in cross-site integration last week. Okay. 
Well, that's a different thing. But yeah, well, I, I want to, yes, we're going to try to erase as many of the distinctions between, basically, you shouldn't have to know about OpenID Stack Exchange in order to log in with your email and password. That yeah. kind of defeats the whole purpose of having email password login. Yay! When did S Saga wear his pants? In episode 71 of um, Saint Say, 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 I can't pronounce it. Well, he's, he is sort of pantless here. Oh, wow. Okay, so anyway. <laughs> sort of an <laughs> artistic, a, artistic shadow. It took a strange turn. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> okay, anime. I can check that I one can't off. look away Christmas from Saga. Party. He's wearing no pants. Talked about that. Uh, new, uh, we got a new office. Alex, any news on the new office? Nope. Just, you know. Construction. I, we're build, it's building. We're moving in the middle of March. Uh, it, we're going to have this new amazing office. It's going to be gigantic. It's going to have hexagon-shaped offices. That's the main thing I keep telling people about. But it's really like the, uh, the espresso bar and the big... Uh, oh, and Stack Overflow TV we should talk about. Wait, what? Uh, we're going to have that's, a thing called... That's a glimmer in Joel's eye right now. Yeah, that's true. A lot of things are that way. Um, we're going to have a new office space. Joel messed. Joel's figured out the TV problem, and he's going to try and launch it ahead of Apple. <laughs> <laughs> no, incorrect. Our new office space has uh, a lunchroom, which, uh, if you take out the tables and just move in a bunch of chairs, can actually seat like 160 people, right? That, yeah, a good number. That's roughly what we think. So we're going to have events all the time um, that are going to be mostly after work events, like five o'clock, six o'clock, um, technical tutorials and lectures and that kind of stuff on programming topics. Hopefully, as often as we possibly can. My goal is to have them at least three or four a week, but at, uh, eventually, uh, but at, at scale. But in the beginning, maybe just one every couple of weeks, and um, and we'll broadcast them for you. We're going to have a full studio thingamajiggy going on there um, so we can broadcast them on the internet and that's going to be stackoflow.tv and that's just sort of waiting for the new office so if you have any ideas well, we should probably buy that domain before someone else goes and does it yeah I assigned Stack this to Overflow. producer Alex. TV. we might already have it I don't, no we don't but I'm going to ask uh, yes it's the Stack Overflow you never know Sam gets drunk and buys, buys domain names that's, that's true, true. <laughs> <laughs> what did he buy it was something very strange I don't remember all right it was we'll put about, in the show notes. It was like prison prison coders. There New was like office a... check. Now the next thing on my notes says interesting meth questions. Meta. Meta. That's better. Okay. Far, far, far less interesting. I but... think you wanted to recap one episode of Breaking Bad, and then we're <laughs> going to switch over to Meta. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, so yeah, so I found a few a few interesting questions. So if you uh, if you actually pull up the, yeah. the Trello board. You can uh, find uh, the question uh, or I can read the number. So the first one, how to deal with a highly voted non-constructive question, which is metastackoflow.com slash Q slash 160969. I saw a question like, how can I make a redirect page in jQuery? This question has got more than a thousand upvotes. What happened to the same question as asked now? Comment, what have you tried? Downvote, downvote, closed by 10 people. What are we supposed to do with that kind of question, which does not show any efforts by the OP? Should we leave the question alone only because of an answer? Is that not just a, a dupe? Well, so, so the example the guy gave is not a very good example because it's not really anything that would get closed. It's non-constructive. He, he's sort of whining uh, just because he's like, well, if I ask this question, it would get it would get downvoted and closed because it's just kind of like, How to make a it's only one line. JQuery would get, oh, it's wait, one I think line. I answered this question. Yeah, you answered it, and I thought your answer was interesting, which is why I thought this was interesting to talk about. But you answered the... Jay, Jay answered this one. I forgot. I forgot. Is it helping so, or hurting? Yeah. So, well, well, one point that he, he's making is just that um, we're much harsher on these types of questions now, or at least Wait, we're what, certainly what, harsher what on them the if a new user asks the question. Them. Oh, because it's what? too easy. What's the question? It's one number? line. I feel like I'm Joel. What's the question? What do you number? mean it's one line? So what? Well, one six zero nine six nine. It's a very old question. 
got a thousand upvotes. It, show, oh, yeah. it shows so, no efforts by the OP. W- well, right. So oh, meaning the person is just like, uh, how do I do it? You know, that's actually, you know, to be specific, it's it's, it's not necessarily actually what ha- happened because this question was a- edited quite a bit. Well, but he's he's talking he's complaining about today, which is basically I think his basic beef is here's a question that we all agree is not an ideal, awesome question, and you know perhaps shouldn't even be on the site, and here it is with a jillion upvotes and. But Mark, that's because it's a shockingly useful question for the internet. Yeah, it's actually, it actually is question. a good question. Well, right. And that was yeah. my, my point was basically that there's there's two key concerns with a question like this, right? So one is if we think it's easy or problematic or bad, um, the first question is, is it going to help people or not? Is it going to help someone? And in this case, I think the answer is it's helping a lot of people because while the question has sort of a flaw in it, which is it's just kind of saying, how do I do this this wrong way? And someone's basically saying, well, if you had to do it within those wrong confines you've set up, one answer explains how. And someone else says, you shouldn't do it that way at all, right? You should use this totally different method, Yeah, which is good. Those are helpful answers. That's what, right? uh, uh, yeah, a lot of questions. Okay, so there's a, there's a bunch of issues going on here. So let's throw away the issue of, okay, there's a syndrome. We need a name for this syndrome where somebody says, how do I do X? And somebody says, don't do X, do Y. Swine flu. Wait, yeah, I don't what? know if that's the right n- name for that. I, I just think it's a good name. syndrome name. I, uh, oh, syndrome. I see. Uh, what do we want to call that? We call that uh, unasking the question or um, pivoting. Don't, pivoting? It's a pivot. It is don't, kind of a pivot. Don't do that. Do this. If this, then this other thing. A- answering a question with a don't do that, do some other thing. Then okay. don't do that. Pivoting. Let's call it pivoting. Okay. So the pivoting syndrome is, is quite, quite popular. And the reason it happens a lot is that a lot of times when people are trying to do something, they're hitting their head against it and they're only turning to Stack Overflow because they're hitting their head against the wall trying to do something that is not very easy because you should be doing something else which is much easier and a better way to do it. Right, I've been trying to clean my floor with my cat for two hours and he's really not absorbing anything. <laughs> and it's and like, I, is there a technique I should use? To get my cat. Right, and so it, in some cases, if you need could to say use you a should, cat. You should yeah. drug the cat and you should probably get this particular kind of cat. Right, right. <laughs> Dead, well, the right answer one. is you should use a broom, right, is a better answer. Or, or a mop, that's correct, exactly. And then you're like, well, no, that's not what I asked, yeah. Okay, so pivoting is actually a, an excellent way to answer questions. It's fairly common. We have no problem with that. And in fact, both answers are legit. You, if you want to provide right. both the in, in right. situ answer and the and, and and in fact, because of pivoting, that's one reason we encourage people not to say, "How do I get my cat to stand still while I scrape him across the floor?" But give us some background. Right. Tell I'm trying us to that clean my floor, cleaning your floor, right. and that this is happening because then we maybe and we I can don't solve have your... a broom. All I have is a cat. <laughs> my problem. <laughs> <laughs> and as luck would have it, I've never liked the cat. But then the answer is like, do you have do you have some little do you have five dollars you can sprinkle around the floor, and maybe the cat will lick your entire floor clean if you break its legs. <laughs> it'll it'll kind of squirm around. I I don't think either of you should be either on Pivoting our floor cleaning site or our fun. cat care. Well, anyway, site. I think what happened so to this question to was fine. Pivot. So so what happened here is exactly what should happen, right? The first answer is don't do that. Do this. And the, the second answer is, okay, if, if you, that's really what you wanted, here's how to do it. But, but it's also kind of a very simple, basic but, but question. But here's one reason. There are several reasons why this question is not so good. One is it's a very, very easy question, or it's a very, very, very common thing. Uh, it's the kind of thing that if you Googled, you would find it in all the reference manuals, presumably. But well, I'm sure behold, if you Google it now, you'll find us. Right, right. But lo and behold, this person did not actually find it. And I don't think it's the end of the world if somebody asks a question, creates a sort of a new canonical entry uh, on the internet that answers a question really, really well that had already existed somewhere else on the internet. That's not, we're not attempting, there's no rule that says that there can only be one source of all forms of knowledge in the entire universe. 
and that Stack Exchange is never, ever allowed to have any questions and answers if the answer exists anywhere else in the universe. Right. And I think in a question like this where there is a false premise, so it's not like there's a great blog post on this, yeah. the answer probably exists in a dozen places, but most of them are going to be discussion boards. And I'd actually argue in that case, a question yeah. where it's not, if it's different, there's a Wikipedia entry that totally nails it, fine, a good source. Right. If the answer is mostly on discussion boards, and this is a great example of that because there's a, sort of an error in the assumption, yeah. um, then us having it's better. It's an improvement. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, a discussion yeah. board, it, the right the answer's there. Is locked but, in bad software. Right, there's eight bad answers around it. I got to yeah. check them all out. That's what we call trapped in bad software. Right. On our site, I know that the top answer, or in this case, two answers, right. are almost certainly right. Right. So uh, anyway, what Null Pointer said in asking the particular question is, what are we supposed to do with that kind of question which does not show any efforts by the OP? So this is a case where the person asking the question did, and actually, if you look at the original version of the question, it was sort of broken English. It was, this is, this is not a person that was trying very hard. Yeah, and I, but that, I actually, I touched on that, because my take is I think there's, okay. there's, there's two big questions. A question like this, there's two things I'm testing for. So one is, does it help people? And we've agreed yes. The second, I think, is, is there simply not enough effort put in by the OP? But when we, when we ask that question, what we're really concerned about generally, I think, and my answer focus on is, is an effort imbalance. We don't like someone to come in and say, I typed half a sentence and didn't proofread it. Now, please give me back two paragraphs that you have to work really hard at to help me. And do my homework Because our me. community will resent it. They'll get frustrated. Yeah. And what I said in this case, it's not, that, not, to, not to disparage the people who give very good answers, but in this case, um, he asked a legitimate question without a ton of effort or extra work to kind of make it great, but the answers didn't require a massive amount of work. An easy redirection or question by someone that took him probably a couple of minutes did a great job of helping him and other people. And so what I'd say in this case is I, I actually think while he didn't put a huge amount of effort into his question, it didn't take a huge effort to answer it. And so there's not a great harm there's done. There's no asymmetry. Right. Yeah. And, so I'd say, and in oh, fact, any more effort into the question uh, would just have obfuscated it. So what, right. what he's created now is a very canonical source on the internet yes. for a very specific problem that lots of people are having. And for him to put two paragraphs explaining all the other bogus crap that he was doing with cauliflower right before he had this problem you but know cauliflower is a common cat now yeah <laughs> would would only have made the question actually more cluttered and useless right if and your question is very simple and only needs one sentence to express with utter clarity then go ahead do it one sentence and so at the end of the day what i'd say is everything about this is actually not only not terrible it's overall helping the world there's one yeah. thing that is a little bit out of whack which there's not much to do about which is this question the quality and the the effort and the sort of complexity of the question and its answers probably don't necessarily want for hundreds and hundreds of upvotes. But that problem is, a, I, I actually think, is a bike shed problem. It's just, it's a question that everyone can relate to. So it has a disproportionate number of votes for its sort of overall interestingness. But yeah. um, the question is good. It's just overvoted. And that's not a huge disaster. What happened, you know, David, something I noticed is that if you look at the uh, Twitter feed, there are automatically generated Twitter feeds. Yeah. A lot of times they identify questions that are just super easy where a lot of people know the answer. Like there's something about, if you go onto uh, the Unix site and you ask a question of like, how do I take the output of one command and then pipe it into the input of another command? You'll get lots and lots of upvotes, you get hundreds of answers, it's, whatever our algorithm is for the newsletter and the Twitter feed and stuff like that, it'll be like, hey, this question looks super interesting. It's a really hard problem to find because that is an interesting question, right? What you see is, if people see that question and they on the list of questions on the homepage, they, they think, click, ah, I know that, because I can answer it. it. And they read it and they read the answer and they think that's a good answer, upvote it. Yeah. And that's a good question, upvote it. And but so it gets a lot of upvotes, it gets a lot of upvotes on the question, it gets a lot of upvotes on yeah. the answer, it gets a lot of views. But solely because so, it's shockingly easy. But it's bike oh. shed, it's a straight, have we talked about this in the podcast? It's, a, it's the bike what is a bike shed? Exactly. Bike shed, and I don't like think it means shaving? what you think it means. 
No, it's the bike shed problem, isn't it? <laughs> bike shed is when I want to when yeah. we want to argue about whether uh, what color the bike shed should be because no, we don't understand the nuclear power plant. That's right. right, but that's the point: is everyone understands what a bike shed is, so yeah. everyone is comfortable weighing in and participating. So a question like uh, this: you go, it's too easy. Why does it have all these upvotes? That's why it has all these upvotes. Is everyone who it's reads it easy. understands the question and can say yes, this is a legitimate question. Yes, this is a legitimate answer. So instead of the three percent of people who understand whatever the heck John Skeet was writing about in some question. Voting, everyone who reads it votes because they can almost all get it. Yeah. And so like the bike shed, unlike the, you know, Nuclear but it's also the Nuclear views. It's also the clicks. And so the, right. the problem here, yeah. Joel, is that if we say, OK, exclude those, then what we're really saying is take out all the stuff that people like to click and show stuff that not very many people like to click because it's obscure. That's and, why it's and interesting. Niche. It seems like it takes some editorial judgment to actually come up with stuff that's actually going well, to teach it's you. Rare that, it's rare that you find something that didn't get a lot of clicks, didn't get a lot of upvotes, but is like a hidden gem. That's the stuff you want to know, but how that's do I hard to find. a Twitter find. feed for a site? I you go to tw Twitter. Like how do, no, but how do I find out what Twitter, Twitter should really buy that Twitter.com oh. domain name so people don't have this problem. Uh, I think we have a list. I uh, hope oh, we have a link on the Stack Exchange list. We used to. On, on stackexchange.com slash sites. Wow, this is hard to find. No wonder nobody ever goes to our Twitter. Uh, nobody ever follows us on Twitter. Laura says it's on sites. It's not, though. Oh, I see. They don't all have them. It is on sites. Thank you, Laura. Unix Twitter feed is Stack Unix. Okay, let's see what's on there. How to determine which SD splat is USB. How to manually install Linux on a USB. That's really popular. Why is the terminal case sensitive? That's really popular. It's not, the, it's not the worst thing in the world. They are very, they are relatively easy. Uh, it, it, it almost seems like uh, uh, a, a real human being editor would somehow come up with a slightly different. Right. In theory, in theory, you'd almost want. On a you want things that are surprising. Not well, things you almost that just convert, confirm your and it gets, you already had. It gets trickier. It depends on how you think people are consuming the media, right? I'd actually think on the Twitter feed, what you almost want is you want some of the some of the things in the feed to be those relatively broad connection ones. So most people will see something and then go, I had that problem once. I remember that. I solved it. It's neat they're asking questions like that, but that most of the time they're seeing new things that might be of interest to them now. By the way, while we're on the podcast, we should encourage everybody to go subscribe to at Stack Exchange on Twitter, and you'll get the best of all of the different Twitter feeds um, fed to you, uh, you know, every three hours, I think it's, it's not, not very many. It's like, you get like five or six, um, interesting questions a day from I think all that's over a, the network. I think that's a tough feed for most people. Stack exchange? No. Yeah. That particular one, I think the challenge you get a little bit because it's all or nothing, right? So that one's all the sites. The difficulty yeah, you get a little bit is for, I think most of the people, I think a lot, a lot of what you would wind up seeing is likely to be in topics that you might just never touch. Yeah. Uh, if you're a nerd, you probably touch uh, three quarters of it. Right. So I'd say is, is if there are specific sites you feed. follow actively, I'd subscribe to those because you'll get a much feed. much yeah. denser kind of feed of things you're interested in. And and most of the time, the Twitter handle is the word stack followed by the keyword, but not always because we couldn't always get that. Like, for example, electrical engineering is stack electronics with an X. Um, and the canonical way to find that is to go to stackexchange.com slash sites. Well, the stack, the stack Exchange feed is a good place to start. Because it true. gives you a sample of all the sites, and then and, and then the way it works is it it, it retweets like. the other accounts, so you can use that to find the other accounts that you like and follow them directly, and then you'll get more questions from that site. Speaking of the Twitter, there was a great deal of debate early on where a group of people inside the company who will not be named were very insistent that the uh, Twitter feeds had to be 100% automated and generated by a robot yeah. that finds so, things. So we did an experiment. We took two of the Twitter accounts and uh, and had people manually curate them. Uh -huh. And uh, and and what we saw was a, a little bit better. Yeah, the gaming one and the uh, the Apple one for huh. a, for a while asked different were being manually curated. 
And uh, what we saw is kind of what we'd expect. You you get fewer tweets because the person's just not around all the time. Yeah. Uh, you get slightly better responses. You get more people following, but overall you get less activity because it's tweeting less. It might be interesting to have uh, the automatic uh, thing and, sort of generate And then the other thing that happened is that those two people ran out of time and then uh, yeah. th- then they stopped doing it and we put it back on the automated one. I think the idea is you have an automated one that generates a queue and then you have a person that – and the queue will just sort of go automatically maybe six hours later. And then your job as an editor of the Twitter feed is to add things to the queue, remove things from the queue. But if you ever go to sleep, then the queue just sort of – Yeah, I, is, I, I think that's fine. I mean I just don't I, – I don't think it – really matters that much it, it is a better ideal twitter tweeting system you know mm-hmm. to have to have all this magic that that moderators can go in and add stuff to the queue and edit it and move stuff up and down and get rid of stuff but um uh, the, the reality is that you can buy that does you that. just don't see that much of an impact and the the uh, on a lot of these sites the number of people following the account is fairly small just yeah, just a bang for the buck sort of thing it's it's uh, i think twitter is a tricky it's a tricky way when you're looking for that kind of long tail you talk about joel right where we kind of love these esoteric questions that a small subset of people uh-huh. a medium that sends out one selected sample of something once in a while is tricky like we're, we work better on some level for people who are kind of browsing through a list of questions somewhat filtered to then find the ones likely to interest them yeah that's kind of a different activity i've been thinking about this because i'm trying to think about uh um, our, our long-term plans to make a feed of interesting stuff. Yes. So that that's actually that's actually kind of easier because we make it interesting to you versus um, the Twitter account is like, it's got to be, it's like this weird everybody. sort of interesting to everybody, but also niche. But the problem is the more niche you get, the fewer people are going to be able to click on it, right? Create so, a custom So Twitter just think feed. about a Stack Overflow feed, right? What kind of questions should the Stack Overflow feed tweet? Because most people don't care about everything on Stack right, Overflow. Right, they right. care about a few things, so you have to kind of break it down. So a, a personalized thing targeted is, is I think, going to do much better. Agreed. All right. Now, for you people listening at home, we never have enough stuff to talk about here, and we'd love to take uh, questions from the listening audience. So uh, if you go to s.tk slash podcast questions, there will be some kind of way that you can submit a question for us, which we will play on the next podcast if it's any good and answer it. We, we need a way to take written questions, I think, because last time there was only mm-hmm. an email. The, the, the barrier between, I think, recording your voice and sending it and typing a thing in a box is probably a different level. Yeah, but it's useful to be able to pl- sort of play. No, the, I think the recordings are great, but we got, uh, I was better. counting them up. We got zero last time. <laughs> so <laughs> we should have people type them in, and then we could have like one of those robot voices read it out no, loud. We'll get James Earl Jones to read your question. If you actually go to, um, slash podcast questions. There is a button that says uh, that you can send a message. Is that only audio? I mean, it's got a little envelope on it. Why don't you click it and see what happens? Uh, it tells me to log in with Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Please go to the so site maybe and use an authentication why... method that we are not willing to use ourselves. Maybe this is why uh, nobody no, is. I can, maybe I can log on with uh, SoundCloud. It also says I'm using an old version of SoundCloud, which is very suspicious because it's a website. Alex, this whole thing is suspicious. Yeah, they have a new version that they, like, you know, their new design and everything. Oh. Didn't any of your young relatives update your uh, browser software over the holidays, Trey? <laughs> <laughs> uh, send message. And that, okay, I'm logged on. No, you can send the email message. That's two stack exchange. You can just type text. Oh, good. The notes made it implied that you'd have to record your voice. Now, if you look up a little bit, you'll see a little um, envelope there. It says send message. So type us a message. You've been listening to Stack Exchange Podcast number 40, the one with James Vanderbeek and uh, Lies. Britton Payne, whatever his name was. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll be with you again um, probably next week. I mean, uh, right? No, there's nothing. Let me look on my calendar. 
Yes, we will be back again next week. Thank you all for listening. Bye. 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 I don't think that's I, that's the wrong. Phrase, there are a lot of right choices. Not the mama. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. I think I'd buy a half hour recording of you saying that over and over again. <laughs>